0: All right. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to the book of James. Now, if you are a guest here today, and this is the first message that you have heard in this series, let me uh, bring you up to speed with what's going on. The book of James was written by a guy named, wait for it, James. Thank you, seminary degree. But this uh, particular James is the half-brother Now, James has spent the first 20 verses of this book talking about what a real relationship with Jesus looks like, what, what faith in Jesus looks like, how it informs the life of a believer. The whole point of this letter is that our faith is always going to be evidenced by our action. And our text this morning is no different. Our faith is going to be evidenced by our actions, specifically today, our actions uh, with receiving God's Word. So there's your background. So uh, last week, Pastor Jim walked us through James 1, verses 19 and 20. This morning, we're going to come to the end of James chapter 1. However, as you open, open up your word, you will notice uh, that the very first word of verse 21 begins with the word, therefore. And as Pastor Eric has taught us multiple times, when studying God's word, whenever you see the word, therefore, you need to research what it is. Therefore, and so it always is pointing back to something. Anytime you see the word therefore, it's always pointing back to something. In this case, our text points back to what we learned last week regarding non-negotiables of Jesus. So we're gonna begin this morning uh, by actually looking back at our text from last Sunday and then proceed to our text uh, for today. So go ahead, James 1, we'll start in verse 19. Open our eyes and our hearts and our minds to your word, that you would remove distractions and your word will be alive and active in our lives this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. James is reminding us all today in what a gift that we have in God's word but with that gift comes great responsibility. And from this responsibility, we see three challenges from James that will require action from each one of us. So, challenge number one that we see from this text is that we are to receive God's word with repentance. We're to receive God's word with repentance. In verse 21, we are told to put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and then to receive the word that is able to save your soul. This is a picture that we see painted multiple times in scripture, putting off the old self and putting on the new self. Paul actually talks about this same principle in Colossians 3, where we are told to put off things like sexual immorality and impurity and lust and evil desires and idolatry and anger, other godless behaviors. But then he follows that up with challenges, challenging us to put on some things. We should put on mercy and kindness and patience and thankfulness, gentleness, and, and above all, love. So the old person is the old bundle of attitudes and emotions um, that, that we used to be. That's who, that's who I was before I was called out of the darkness by the voice of Jesus. The new person is the new bundle of attitudes and emotions and practices that Jesus has called us to become. We take off the old person and we put on the new person. Which really leads us to kind of ask ourselves a question this morning, a kind of a personal reflection question is, What is God currently putting off and putting on in your life? What is he currently doing? What is he currently reshaping in your life? You see, that's the dilemma that James poses for us in these verses. That there are a lot of people that only hear the word of God. There are a lot of people who sit in sermons and do Bible studies and attend small groups and they go to conferences and seminars and they gain piles and piles of knowledge about what God's word says and what we're supposed to do with it. But James' point is that hearing without doing leads to despair. It leads to deception. So James gives us the illustration of a mirror. He says that, that hearing without doing is like checking yourself out before a big presentation. Like, for instance, there, there's a mirror backstage here. And right before I walk on stage, I gave myself a, a kind of a once over in this mirror. Now, why did I do that? Well, primarily because I'm incredibly vain, okay? But I'm not the only one. Like, have you ever like been at dinner or doing something with a group of people and you go to the restroom or whatever and you look up and you realize that you've had something stuck in between your teeth or something is hanging out of your nose and it's been there the whole time and no one has said anything. Have you ever, have you ever been there? Listen, there's not a soul in here that thinks to themselves in the morning. You know what, man? I look really good today. This outfit is on point. It is awesome. This is gonna be great. You know what I need right before I walk out the door? I'm just gonna grab some spinach and just run across the front of my teeth, hoping that I get some lodged in there. That'll finish it off for the rest of the day, right? No one does that. No one's getting ready. None of you are getting ready to go out on a date and you think to yourself, man, I, I look really good. There's one thing that's missing though. Let me get just a little toothpaste and just tuck in the corner of my mouth and let it smear and dry just a little bit. That's what my man's looking for, right? Like that's what my girl wants is just a little smear toothpaste on my face. No, no, no. None of us would do that. Like we totally understand the concept of looking in the mirror, seeing something we don't like and addressing it immediately. Yet James is challenging challenging us here because he is saying that many of us do this with God's word. We look into it, we study it, we identify the things that need to change, yet we walk away with stuff stuck in our teeth, never changing anything. You see, when we hear and take action, we're living as we're meant to live, expressing the grace of Jesus in our lives. James says that if all we do is talk about our faith, but there is no evidence, no visible actions, it is worthless and dead. And we have to wake up and stop deceiving ourselves. We have to stop being caught up in the religious trap. What James is calling us to do is look in the mirror of the gospel that gives us not only a true picture of who we were, right? Broken, sinful, rebellious, unable to change ourselves. But it, this mirror also gives us a picture of what we've been declared to be righteous, loved, rescued by Jesus. You see, we're not looking into the mirror of ourselves. We're looking into the mirror of Jesus. And once we truly see Jesus, you're just going to look different, we, are, we naturally, naturally reflect the one who created us to be in a relationship with him and we reflect him by acting on what we've heard. But what is the catalyst that causes that to happen? Well, James tells us in verse 25 and 26 as we receive our second challenge this morning, we are to receive God's word with readiness James says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. You see, this is kind of where a surprise twist comes for many of us. Because in these verses, James perfectly marries the law and the gospel and says it is possible for them to coexist. And that's primarily because of Jesus. In verse 25, the law that James refers to here is is the Old Testament law, the, the Ten Commandments and a bunch of rules and regulations that were passed down to the Hebrews. But he calls it the perfect law, the law of liberty, Which means that when Jesus came, the law was fulfilled in him. You see, the law by itself does not liberate, it enslaves. The law reminds us that we can never keep the law. I mean, some of us broke six out of the 10 commandments before we left the house this morning. The law was never meant to stand alone. It was always meant to point forward to Jesus, the only one who could perfectly fulfill it. That's why James says that we are now looking into the law of liberty. Jesus did something for us that we could never do for ourselves in fulfilling the law on our behalf. He kept every part of it. He never sinned, never broke the law, never stood condemned and guilty before God until he hung on the cross in our place. And he then gave us the Holy Spirit to transform us not through the law, but through grace. And this is why James is reminding us that hearing and then doing leads to blessing. Or hearing and not doing leads to what James would call worthless religion. You see, these two verses give us a picture of a blessed man and an unblessed man. I love what Charles Spurgeon once said regarding the unblessed man. He said this, I got a quote I want to read to you, but I want you, it's, it's remarkable that this quote comes from the mid 1800s, but how relevant it is to us today. Spurgeon said, they are hearers, but they are described as hearers who are not doers. They hear, some of them pretty regularly, others of them only now and then, just to while away an hour. But as to doing what they hear That has not entered their minds. They hear a sermon and they are off. They never give the word time to operate. They are back to business, back to talk and idle chit-chat the moment the service ends. It is a great mercy for us, considering the quantity of nonsense there is in the world, that we have two ears so that we can let idle words go in at one ear and out at the other. But it is a great pity that we should use those two ears in such a way in reference to the word of God. Do not let the gospel come in at one ear and out at the other. Let it have two roads right down to the soul and shut your ears when the truth has thoroughly entered in and compel it to abide in the chamber of your soul. How much a blessing would come to men if they carried the word home with them, if they took the text to pieces, if they weighed it and considered it and prayed for a personal application of it then they would become spiritually wise by the teaching of the Holy Ghost. But alas, they are hasty hearers. They look in the glass and they go their way. And friends, this way leads to a worthless religion. But thankfully, James gives us another option. Verse 25, where he says, but the one who looks in the perfect law the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. James lays out four directives in this verse that will result in being blessed. Directive one says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, in other words, a student of God's word. That's directive number one. Directive number two, we are told to persevere those who are not swayed, they are steady in their faith, which then leads to directive number three of being a hearer, being no hearer who forgets. They remember the teachings and directions of the word, which results in directive four, a doer who acts, not someone who just hears. And these four directives lead us to God's blessing. Now, Before we move on, there's always the possibility that you will misunderstand this point. And as many times as we've heard this truth, it's important to explicitly state it again. Simply doing does not save you. Simply doing does not save you. You cannot make yourself acceptable before God by doing anything apart from Jesus. I've heard it said before that Christianity is not spelled D-O, but D-O-N-E. Because Jesus did everything necessary for us through the cross and the resurrection. And because of that, it's all done. But when we understand what was D-O-N-E, we will then D-O. And that action will lead to God's continued blessing on our lives. Pure religion leads to action. Pure religion that has been redeemed and fueled by the gospel, it transforms us and it transforms our world, which then leads us to our final challenge that we see in our text this morning. We are to receive God's word with responsiveness. Responsiveness. James gives... One particular action step for what pure religion looks like, and he unpacks that in verse 27. We are to care for who Jesus calls the least of these. In particular, the widows and the orphans. In the Bible, you can find over 60 distinct times where the people of God are commanded to care for the orphans or care for the widows, care for the outsiders. It began during uh, the time of the Exodus when God commanded the Hebrew nation to take care of those uh, sojourners that crossed their paths. It continued as God established laws and practices for exactly how they should be fed and housed. And then when Jesus came, he perfectly exemplified one who reached out to people who were in their greatest need. Jesus embraced the leper. He loved the widow. He brought attention to the plight of the fatherless. And and Jesus's example now becomes our command. Because God's clear will for the people of God is to care for those who can give us nothing in return. Now, obviously, my family is very passionate about adoption. We adopted our youngest son, Merrick, from Ethiopia in, in 2010, and I remember, I remember vividly getting the phone call that we had been matched with our Merrick. We were at the North Carolina Zoo, and apparently it's the only spot in the entire state of North Carolina that cell phones don't work, in case you needed to know that. But we get out outside of the zoo, we're in the parking lot, we're loading up the car, getting ready to go and and April, our phones just start both alerting us like crazy all with the same messages. Call us back, call us back. You've been matched. We've got you a kid. You guys are matched together. Call us back, call us back. Call us by 4 p.m., which is when we, we, you know, the office closed. Of course, it's 4.05 p.m., right? Which led to the longest night ever but the next morning comes and anxiously awaited on the agency to open up and we got on the phone and I will never forget this moment for the rest of my life they started us, started telling us all these details of this sweet little boy and they told us to open up our email and upon opening up our email this picture here pops up I mean come on Merrick, just so we know, gave me permission to show this picture and he's now got his head inside his jacket, right? (laughs) But I remember thinking in this moment, that was my son. I'd never met him. I had never held him. He had no clue who I was. But that didn't change a thing. April is crying, and if you know her, you know that's not uncommon. She's crying, and and I just can't stop staring at him. I don't even know what's being said. The lady's telling us all this information, and I'm just staring. And and as part of the agency requirements, they require us to take 24 hours um, to decide if we're going to accept or decline this match. And I just remember thinking to myself, man, that's my son. He is unconditionally loved and accepted regardless of his background and there is not a thing he could ever do that could change that love. There is nothing he could do that would make me love him any less and nothing that he could do that would make me love him any more. And in that moment, I was reminded again about the gift of Jesus who also loves me unconditionally and accepts me regardless of my background. And there's absolutely nothing that I could do to make him love me any less or more than he does at this moment. He adopted me as his son. Friends, before we knew we needed a rescue, Jesus came to rescue us. He gave us his name. He gave us his inheritance. He gave us his identity. Merrick looks nothing like me physically. I think he's thankful for that. But he has a completely different DNA. But he bears my name. I gave him my identity. And he will fully share in the inheritance alongside his brother. All $72 of it. but he was grafted into our family. And outside of his skin color, you can't tell where one scott offspring ends and the other one begins. And as followers of Jesus, we have no choice but to care for the widow and the orphan. Now, let's be fair. What does that look like practically? Practically. Not everyone that hears this message is going to adopt. Not everyone who hears this message should adopt. But everyone who is a believer has a mandate to care for the least of these. And so maybe it does mean that you adopt. Maybe it does mean that you start the process of training to be a foster parent. Maybe it means that you financially support a family who is trying to raise thousands of dollars so they can adopt. Maybe it means that you reach out to the lady across the street who just lost her husband last year. Listen, I love this. We have some of the most amazing deacons ever at Hillcrest. And, and listen how cool this is. They are actually planning a work day this coming Saturday. To go out and do this. They have got a work day set aside this Saturday where we've had widows within our church that are asking for some help just to do some odds and end things around their home. And our deacons are going out putting this into practice. But here's here's the reality there are more needs than there are people. And so maybe your response to this today is as soon as this service is out, you go out to that Next Step Center and you sign up to say, you know what, I will, I'm going to go help. I'm going to do something for these widows. The, the, here's, the, here's the point. Real faith is not going to just sit there. It's going to lead you to do something in Jesus' name in the world in which you live. And again, this happens because we've been adopted ourselves. Jesus left heaven, lived on earth, and adopted us into the family of God. And you, and as you are amazed at the beauty of what God has done, it changes you on the spot because your desires change. And that is what God is after. You see, he's not just after obedience. He's after a whole new kind of obedience, one that grows from desire, where you obey God because you love God, where you crave righteousness because you love righteousness. And only the Holy Spirit released through faith in the gospel has power to do that. Only faith in the gospel, not doctrinal knowledge, changes you. So when you are struggling in your marriage, you, just, you don't just need to learn new techniques in marriage. The power to really change in relationships comes from the gospel. Learning five new steps to becoming a more thoughtful husband is not nearly as important as embracing the 10 billion steps Jesus took to you when he died on the cross. When you're struggling as a parent because your children are struggling with sin and you can't make them love the right things no matter what you say, where do you turn? I mean, sure, you can try to force them to conform to the laws, but you can't produce righteousness in their hearts through the law. Hearts change only comes from the gospel. So you turn to it for hope and you pray in faith that power to be released in your life and in their lives. And let me just say this to the kids in here who might be struggling in that sin, and you've got parents on their knees praying for you you need to wake up and thank God that you have that type of parents. Because there are people all over this world that wish they had that. And when you struggle with sin and you've fallen again, you look at the finished work of Christ and you thank God that his acceptance of you no longer relies on how well you live the Christian life you declare my acceptance is not based on how well I've run, but on Jesus's finished work. You see, when I fall, he is still standing. When I feel weak, he is still strong. When I feel unrighteous, he is still holy. And so as, as we get ready to wrap this up this morning, I just want you to remember that you are as accepted in God's sight As if you had never sinned a single time because the finished work of Christ has become your righteousness. The nature of the gospel is that we give, expecting absolutely nothing in return. As a matter of fact, it is that we give knowing that most of the time we will not receive anything in return. But emptying orphanages around the globe is simply social justice if we're not doing it because the cross compels us. Earthly adoption is not the ultimate answer. Heavenly adoption is. Caring for orphans and widows and those who are the least of these are just examples that point a lost world to the beauty of reconciliation. But without Christ, it's short-lived and temporary. We love because we have been loved. We serve because we have been served. We humble ourselves because one greater than us humbled himself in his death on the cross. And if we understand how we've been loved as someone who is helpless, we will love others who are helpless. And all of this is a direct result Of receiving God's word through repentance, receiving God's word through readiness, and receiving God's word through responsiveness. So the response today is pretty easy. Like, how are we going to respond?